0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. I'm Rick Burgess, uh, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com. Thank you if you're joining us uh, for the very first time, but uh, no matter uh, how many times you've been with us, I'm thankful you've taken time to be with us today, either watching it live here on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel uh, or listening uh, to an archive on the podcast channel or watching an archive here on the YouTube channel. We're thankful that you are here. Uh, A couple things we do want to talk about Uh, Before we jump into today's lesson, and we're going to be continuing uh, our series, Knowing God. This is our uh, 13th session, uh, walking through this book by J.I. Packer. Uh, The theme of this, uh, it's one thing to know about God. It it may be different, though, to actually know God. Last week, we talked about God's love. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the grace of God. Uh, Next week, uh, Lord willing, we'll talk about the wrath of God, Uh, because J.I. Packer makes the point uh, if we're going to know God, then we must know all the characteristics of God, not just our favorites. Uh, so we're going to unpack some more of this today. And also today, a concept that um, in the church, especially the Western church, uh, many times uh, is completely misunderstood, and that is the grace of God. Uh, programming note, Couple some things I want you to know. Uh, some of you may be hearing this for the first time, and I apologize if that is the case. But uh, this is to all the men that have been attending uh, the Bible study in person. We are getting closer, uh, Lord willing, uh, to having you back in the studio. Uh, I'm not saying we're there yet, but we, we are getting a plan to get there. Uh, but those of you that were in the Wednesday Bible study, you probably know Bill Searcy. Uh, Bill Searcy also was uh, one of the speakers for us with uh, our team at themanchurch.com uh, and a great friend. And, uh, you know, Billy had been uh, fighting a, a long battle with, uh, with all kinds of health issues, but the, the big one, pancreatic cancer. And though he had gotten to the point where he was cancer-free, sadly the cancer returned along with other health issues. And uh, Billy has gone to be with the Lord and Savior that he uh, loves and and serves so well. Uh, And as Billy and I talked many times, we have uh, uh, testimonies that at times can be very rough, uh, but we both uh, talked often that Jesus was right about uh, those who who Jesus paid the biggest debt for uh, seem to love him uh, even more. So, what I want to tell—reason why I want to tell you that—number one, to let you know that where you can pray for his family that is that is grieving. But we're going to do a memorial service for Bill, uh, and we're going to do it in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, we'll do it at Valleydale Church, uh, coming up a Sunday, March the 21st. So it'll be this Sunday if you're listening to this live or catching it uh, during the week that we're actually um, uh, we're doing the Bible study uh, today is the is the 17th. So it'll be coming up this Sunday at Valleydale Church at 2 p.m. local time, and that's Central Time. Uh, so if you would like to get to Valleydale Church, it's just off 65, uh, and be there. Rich Wingo is going to kind of uh, uh, lead this for us. Uh, we're going to have some praise and worship time together, some of Billy's favorite songs, uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Billy, and we're going to be talking, more importantly, about Jesus. Uh, Billy looked at Rich Wingo and, and me. We went to see him in his final days of life here on earth, and uh, we all knew that, barring a miracle, that uh, we were spending our last days together. And he told uh, Rich and I uh, very clearly uh, that he wanted the gospel to be shared uh, at his memorial service. So that will happen. Uh, we, will, we will do what we told our friend that we would do. So that will be coming up uh, Sunday, the 21st of March, this Sunday, 2 p.m. at Valleydale Church. If you'd like to join us, those of you that know Billy or you're in the Bible study with Billy, Uh, and you'd like to be there. Uh, Also, uh, if you go to themanchurch.com, you see we are out on the road, and we have a lot going on right now. uh, As many churches are implementing the men's discipleship strategy, so look to next week. Uh, We're going to be in McGee, Mississippi, uh, kicking off uh, the First Man Church and the discipleship strategy on the 25th. Next Thursday, uh, next Saturday, we'll do the same thing. Now, this is going to be kind of an outdoor, low-country boil uh, that uh, a Brotherhood Boil. We're going to enjoy the shrimp and the potatoes and the corn and, and the sausage that will be in the Low Country Boil at First Baptist Church of Lindale, Georgia. Uh, but they also will be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, and uh, so you can take a look at that. Mobile, Alabama, April the 1st. Um, be with the men of uh, the people of Mars Hill Church. Forge men's event on the USS Battleship at Mobile, Alabama. That'll be cool. They're in the hangar. Uh, and we'll be plugging you into the discipleship strategy. And then there's other opportunities you can find by going to burgessministries.com and just clicking on events. And we'd love to see you there. And if we can help you in any way, shape, or form to implement a men's discipleship strategy at the Manchurch.com, please contact us. Let's open up with a word of prayer, and let's jump in uh, to the topic of the grace of God. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the, the discussion today. Thank you for the grace but may we understand it today maybe in a way we never have uh... and not be grace abusers uh... are not understanding what an incredible gift this is from you uh... help us to discern that today may you be glorified Lord. not embarrassed uh... be with those uh... today on this day as we are praying and doing this bible study for a lot of people who watch this that may be in the the path of dangerous weather i pray lord that you be with those and and protect those lives but ultimately lord we understand that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have uh, the book, uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, this would be session 13 or chapter 13. And and the, the topic is the grace of God. And I'm going to just kind of walk through it. I'm not going to go through the chapter word for word. That, that Hopefully you've got the workbook or you have the book and you're walking through that. If not, though, I think we're going to understand uh, through the word of God uh, what, what J.I. Packer, the point he wants to make about grace is he he goes as far as to say he believes this this characteristic of God may be the most misunderstood. And I was a kind of, I was kind of shocked when I first read that because I started thinking to myself, I, I would I would think maybe His wrath is the one that may be most misunderstood, or you know what we talked about last week, uh, uh, you know His love, but but grace. That it seems like everybody would really work hard to get that concept right because that's where our hope is. But J.I. Packer makes a good point. He says, no, the reason why it's misunderstood. Is we're delusional about our need for grace. Uh, and, and Paul was not. Uh, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, we're gonna look at verses 9 and 10. This, these, th- these are two verses that God really laid upon my heart over the last two years of being a disciple of Jesus because I can relate to this in very similar, uh, a lot to what I just talked about with, with the earthly death and the testimony of Bill Circe and my testimony. Uh, Even though the Apostle Paul is a powerful man of God, he had a testimony where he was passionately wrong. He was persecuting the church, the the very church that he now serves. He once persecuted, and he had a lot lot of zeal. Uh, He thought he was doing the work of God when he was actually doing the work of Satan, and he remembers the horrible things that he did, including uh, standing there in Acts chapter 8, we see this line that Paul uh, approved uh, of the execution of Stephen and told people to put their jackets over you know, at his feet so they could throw even harder. Uh, and, and so he remembers that there were people that he approved of their death, uh, only to realize those are his brothers and sisters of the church now, and he's remembering this. And he says in, in, in verse 9 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, for I am the least of the apostles. Now, isn't that interesting? And this is the attitude we have to take. Here is what most of us claim may be the greatest Christian of all time, but the way he sees himself is that he's the least of all the apostles. Not the leader, but the least. And, and he says, unworthy to be called an apostle. Underline that. that that's, that's, that's the concept today. I don't, I don't mean to take the whole lesson and wrap it up in five minutes, but, but I, the, the, what we got to understand is we are not worthy of God's grace. And that's where we got to understand God's grace. We're not worthy of it. That's why it's such a big deal. So Paul himself says he wasn't even worthy to be called an apostle. And then he says, why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Now, you and if you're redeemed uh, and, and, and I'm redeemed, I think that any of us, I, I may not have persecuted the church of God. I mean, I, I blasphemed the church because I went around saying I was a Christian when I wasn't. And I lived that a life that blasphemed the church. But I bet we can all think of sin in our life and say, I shouldn't have been redeemed by Jesus because I did this, this, and this. Now, this today is not about making you think you weren't forgiven. It's not about that today. It's making you understand what a big deal is it that you have been forgiven. That's what today's about, and not to take it lightly, okay? Because anything that that you have done in your past and I have done in my past, if we truly repented and we've been redeemed by Jesus, it's gone which is why this is such a big deal. So Paul talks about this, but but Paul is not forgetting what he did. Jesus has forgiven him for what he did, but he's not he hasn't stopped thinking about it as if as if the grace wasn't really that big of a deal. He says, "Because I persecuted the very church that I now serve." But and this is what we got to get today, verse 10. "But by the grace of God I am what I am." So he's understanding he didn't come up with a new code of conduct. He didn't come up with some new rules and that got him back in good with God again. He said, the only thing that has me back in the proper relationship with the holy God is his grace. Something he did, not something I did. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then underline this two times, three times. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Well, now, wait a minute. I thought we just, you know, the grace is the grace, and I've been forgiven. I'm just, I just knock it out of gear now. I know a lot of people like this, and I used to be like this. I think I've done enough. I think I've done all the things I need to do to receive this gift of God's grace. Uh, but I'm really not that bad a person. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to hell now and I'm good. You're not going to see me advancing the kingdom. You're not going to see me making disciples. You're not going to see me changing my lifestyle a whole lot. You're not going to see me uh, you know, making uh, uh, Jesus the first priority in my life. I'm going to kind of rock on back and go on back and live uh, kind of the good life because I've now been forgiven. That's not what Paul did. You know what Paul said? I understand that my only hope was grace. I got that. He's not delusional about that. But you know what he was wanting to make sure that God never felt is that he was a grace abuser. He said, I don't ever want to live my life that would ever cause Jesus Christ to say to me, when I went to the cross, it was in vain. There's no return on it. And Paul said, you know what? I've been saved by grace and grace was my only hope, but the grace I've been given will never be in vain. I work harder than people who maybe don't have a testimony as rough as mine, I work harder than any of the others, not to earn my salvation, but to tell Jesus over and over again and tell God over and over again, I am thankful for the grace you afforded me, and I get that it was a big deal. I get it. And, and honestly, I spend a lot of my life not having that attitude, and I'm embarrassed about that, but I'll tell you what, I don't have that attitude anymore because I'm not delusional about how wretched I really am. Galatians 2, 21, turn with me there. Another great example. Here's Paul again uh, writing to Galatia and Galatians 2, verse 21. Let's take a look at what he says here. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I, look, I'm not I'm not back on this keeping the law thing again. I don't nullify grace. I acknowledge that I have been saved by the grace of God, not because I was so good at keeping the law. I got it. I'm got. i not going to nullify grace. So this is, this is where uh, J.I. Packer starts off with these, these, these you know, places in the Bible. And he says, many church people and churches don't seem to fully understand this grace. Why? And, and he gives us some, some things. One of the things he mentioned is the moral ill desert of man. He said, one of the problems, the reason why we don't understand the concept of God's grace is because we're delusional about how wretched we really are. We really don't see us like I love that analogy as the desert the the moral illness and the and the and the the vast nothingness of man human beings think highly of themselves we think more highly of ourselves than we do and you've heard this before we think more highly of ourselves and we don't think high enough of god we we elevate ourselves and we start get this attitude of well i mean yeah he forgave us but i mean of course he did because we're so wonderful uh, and 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 we and we we we, we morally uh, make some mistakes here and there, but it's not really a big deal. No matter no matter how uh, you know how hard you know things get, or how bad I really act, or whatever horrible things I've done. Deep down, we're still pretty good folks, and that's the attitude of a lot of churches. You see this when we did the series on the unsaved Christian. This this permeates throughout cultural Christianity, and permeates throughout country music a lot of times. What do you hear in a lot of these? Remember, we talked about this in the Unsaved Christian. We did that series. You hear in a lot of a lot of good old boy thing. I'm a good old girl and I'm a good old guy. And you know, I drink too much and I raise a little cane and I chase women or or I give myself over to men and and I party and I smoke a little dope and I drink I, I drink to drunkenness. But you know what? God knows I'm a good old boy and He likes me just like I am. Well, that's blasphemy, is what that is. And that and that's abusing grace, and that's taking the concept of grace and acting like it's really no big deal. No, here's what we are. We're pagans, is what we are. We're, we're, we're pagans. We are fallen from God's image. We were we are rebels against a holy God, and and we we are guilty and we and we are unclean. And the only thing that we are fit for without God's grace, and I want us to understand this today, let me tell you what we are fit for, condemnation. We all deserve to go to hell, every single one of us. Because the reason why we don't think our sin is a big deal is we don't understand the holiness of God. We we, we have been presented a vision of God, and we talked about this before, the big man upstairs and, and, and we've also been presented a vision and a lot of modern, uh, uh, and I use this word loosely just so you know the, the, the category praise and worship songs. There's a lot of modern praise and worship songs where you would think God's just enamored with us. I mean, He, he, he just is not complete without us. He needs us. I mean, we are, we are just, man, I'll tell you what, what would God do without us? We are wonderful. Yeah, we make a few mistakes, but I mean, at, at the end of it all, we're still good old folks, and, and God knows that. Well, that's straight from the pits of hell, and that is, that's, that's misunderstanding God's grace. The next thing, the next reason is that, uh, that God deserves to punish us. We deserve condemnation. Uh, he, he, the, there's retribution that God owes us because of our rebellion, and grace is keeping that retribution that we deserve coming from God to us, that he's just to wipe us off the face of the earth. And I got news for you. You, you, go, you go to Genesis chapter 6, he, he nearly did it once. I mean, he got rid of everybody, but eight people. So this thing, if he's enamored with the human race, uh, it says at one time in, in Genesis that he regretted ever making us. Because our hearts were so wicked that all we ever cared about and all we ever thought about was doing evil. And so there, there's, there's a willingness for us to tolerate, and, and and we think that God has this willingness to tolerate and indulge evil up to a certain point. And, and it's almost like we think that, that it's almost become a virtue for us to walk around and and we're so we we usually use this term because it once again it elevates us who am i to judge uh well i'm not going to say anything and what happens is we use that excuse and if you'll watch us what we start thinking is a virtue and jay packer touches on this we start thinking it's virtuous for us to indulge and 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 tolerate evil to a certain level ah well, we don't get carried away i mean i i still listen to the smutfield song but uh, I, you know, I'm not trying to be sa- sa- sanctimonious and self-righteous as I watch this nasty soft porn. I mean, God understands who I really am. You know, the thing that I, I used to say, which is horrible when you hear a Christian say, well, yeah, I mean, I listen to the nasty music, and I, I watch the nasty movies, and, and, uh, you know, and I tolerate the nasty joke, but the reason why I do that is because it really doesn't affect me. It doesn't bother me. I'm so in perfect relationship with God. I can do these things, and it really have no impact On my my relationship with God because, let's face it, man, we're saved by grace. And see, that's not understanding grace. That's abuse of grace. That is is not recognizing what a big deal sin is and how much God hates it. How much God hates it. We know there is right and wrong because that's instilled in us. But here's where we make this mistake about right and wrong and about sin. We think God sees it the same way we do. And that is incorrect. We're naive. The retribution might be the moral law in God's world, but um, God does not just let things go like we do. That's no but it is to him. It's a really big deal because he's withholding the retribution that he justly is, has the right to. He, the, the, What it is is, is is we think that if God doesn't just let things go, we turn around, you hear the Oprahs of the world do this stuff. I don't want to worship a God who... Well, we think because he won't let sin go or he thinks it's a big deal, we don't understand that's because of his character and he can't not be holy. And, and really, if he wasn't holy, then we don't have any hope if we're serving a flawed God. We don't understand that. We look, instead of saying God is holy and it breaks my heart that I've ever sinned against him and it breaks my heart that people blaspheme him, what we think is, well, he's overreacting. I mean, what is he, vindictive? What is he can he not control his temper is this some kind of rage he has this vindictive uh you know uh, 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 rage in God see that's it's almost like we would say well if I was God I wouldn't be like that well you're not God and I'm not God thank goodness because if I was God a lot of y'all would be dead because I would tolerate it but see that that's that's where that's where the grace is so so important. This grace is perplexing. I know next week is God's wrath and I'm not I'm I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but it's the very goodness of God that makes this retribution a must. It's as much a part of God because his goodness demands that sin be dealt with. And the fact that he dealt with it in a way that didn't involve us Because of his grace, it's something really incredible. It's really, really incredible. His wrath makes all the sense in the world to me. His mercy and his grace is perplexing. And that's what makes it so wonderful. And it shouldn't be abused and taken lightly. So here are some of the, uh, um, the other issues when we don't understand grace. And that is the spiritual impotence of man. And J. I. Packer talks about this. He said, "We're trying to apply um, the it was um, what's the guy? When y'all can shout it, um, I can't think of his name now. It's in here. the the How to Win Friends and Influence People. What's that? What was that got? Yeah, get, uh, Dale Carnegie. We're trying to take that. All he's really saying is, you go out there and you make friends with the person you're trying to sell something to, and you win them over to yourself. Then you can sell them stuff." Now, I'm oversimplifying it, but that's the bottom line. Well, we start trying to te- treat God that way. Well, if we just pal around with him a little bit and win him over to us, then we can get away with more. Then, you know, this this grace thing is something. The reason why he has, has shown me grace is because he likes me. And and and, and he's, he's, he's he likes me because I'm so likable. He just threw grace out on me because God knows how I am, and I, I'm one of his favorites. Now, this is where you get into this thing, um, which we'll get into today about the some of the mis- uh, some of the concepts that are incorrect out there um, about uh, and we'll get into this you know when you start getting into some of the theology out there and I, and I think that some of the theology uh, is flawed on both ends of the spectrum when we start getting into whether you're an armenian or you're a calvinist and that's going to be in part of this today is where you where you get into this uh, sometimes some of this theology seems to be a little too human driven to me uh, i've never met a calvinist that doesn't think they're one of the elect never Now that would be a commitment to the theology. You know, I really believe that uh, there were people that are predestined to hell, and I'm one of them. I've never heard a Calvinist say that. Uh, And but you can't get into the scripture and also ignore uh, where the Bible talks about God's foreknowledge and when it talks about the predestiny and it talks about His sovereignty. So you can't ignore that either. So we probably want to stay away from making our theology named after some uh, some human being's last name, that's probably not the way to go. We probably want to jump into the scripture and understand that we are not winning God over so they, we then can influence him to do what we want him to do. We think that we can put God in a position that he can't punish us for our sins. We we think we've Dale carnegie Him, and, and which is preposterous. But I've done it. I, I, I've done it before where I started kind of letting sin creep in and I'm like, yeah, but come on, I mean, You like me now. You and I, we're we're buds. And you know I'm going to drift a little bit here. You know that's just how I am. And of course what God has said, no, I I provided grace so you won't be like you are because I really actually hate the way you are. And, And what I want you to be is like I made you in the beginning before you turned against me. That's what I'm after. I'm trying to redeem you back and make you fully righteous so you can be more like me. I have no interest in being more like you. Speaking of I was God. And I think we think God wants to be more like us, which is lunacy. But, I I mean, we live like we think. You say, I'd never say that. Well, look at how we live. I mean, I've examined myself studying this all week, and I'm like, I think sometimes I think think that I have somehow, you know, treated God like some guy in your friend group that you go, you know what, I didn't really like the way he was when I first met him. But, you know, now that we've influenced him and made him a lot like us, I like him better. Like we can do God that way. Have you ever had somebody come into a friend group you didn't really like them then suddenly they hung around the friend group for a while and they became more like the friend group so you started liking them more? Well, God doesn't do that. We're, he's transforming us into to, to who he is more like him. We do not have the power, nor does he allow us to make him more like us. And, and many times we do that, and we do it really for one reason, so we don't have to worry so much about all this sin that we enjoy. just kind of want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that is a dangerous theology. We cannot repair our relationship with him. We can't do it. We think somehow we do the right sales pitch and we can spin it and that God will forgive us uh, because we're the ones who can make this happen. Take your Bible and look at at Romans, and you'll see Romans shoots this down many times, but we'll jump at one of the more famous verses about this that, that you probably are familiar with, but let's read it again today. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Here, this, this, this goes away with the uh, how to win friends and influence people approach to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So he said the law was given to us so we can understand how sinful we really are and how hopeless this attempt is to keep every letter of the requirement of God without God intervening and doing it for us. It's impossible. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. So then the next thing that we have to understand about us misunderstanding the concept of grace is the sovereign freedom of God. The God of the the Bible does not depend on us for his well-being. I'll say that again because I know that there's a lot of churches you go to out there where human worship takes place Sunday after Sunday, and everybody sings about how wonderful we are and how, how many things God does for us and uh, how much he doesn't want heaven without us. God doesn't want heaven without us? <laughs> where did you find that in the Bible? I mean, I think what you find is, is that God was willing to redeem us, that God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I got news for you. Whether you are redeemed by God or not is not going to change how great he is. I mean, God's not going to sit over there and we're going to find God pouting. And somebody says, well, what's wrong, great I am? Well, you know, heaven just didn't rise. It's Rick didn't get here. I didn't want heaven without him. No, I, God's not enamored with me. God loves me, but I don't make God any greater. Whether I go to heaven or not, God's heaven and God's, God returning to the new heaven, new earth will not be squandered by Rick wouldn't get his act together. Do I think it breaks his heart that I'm his child and I reject him? Of course. But does it make him less God? No. No, I don't do anything to make God better. Now, he does a lot to make me better. There's something wonderful about him. There's nothing wonderful about me. So take your Bible, and and if you've ever done this before, if you want to try Psalms, it's easy. Just take your Bible and go right to the middle. So let's go to Psalms 50. Psalms 50. Psalms 50, and let's look at verses 8 through 13. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. This is God talking. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Uh, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And he goes on to talk to talk more about that. And he's basically saying, "You don't think I need you, do you?" <laughs> this is God saying, "Do you think I depend on you for anything? I, I don't. I, you you come to me bringing me a bull. I got a I got cattle on a thousand hills. You think God needs that from you? He doesn't need anything. We don't bring anything to the table." We're the ones that should be celebrating what he brought to the table. Uh, turn over to Acts. Let's go to Acts. Acts 17, verse 25. Acts 17, verse 25. Now this here it is in the New Testament. Look at this. Look at let's look at 34. I mean 24 first. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Look at 25 nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to mankind life and breath and everything. You realize, and Steve Farrar taught me this one, he go, you know, Jesus said, you know, why are you so concerned with how human beings are coming after you? You're, you're, you're afraid of you know, a human being that might be able to take your, your, your body, but it can't take your spirit, but you're not at all afraid of my Father who can take your body and spirit for eternity? That's what you need, to be, you need to be concerned about, not humans. And here's another example. You know, and Steve Farrar said this, you know why I don't, I'm not afraid of human beings? Because the God that I serve has to allow you to breathe. <laughs> right now, the next, the next breath I take was allowed by God, and he could stop it whenever he wanted to. He allows every one of you to breathe. And, and, and this, is, this is Luke uh, writing in, in Acts saying, what in the world do you think God actually needs from us? He has no obligation to show us favor. None. He gave us grace, and he, there was no obligation. Well, well, you know what? Sooner or later, God, uh, you know you owe us his grace, right? He doesn't owe us grace. That's, and see, the, I think some of us think he does. And that's why we don't understand the concept of the grace of God. We don't get what a big deal it is because somehow we thought we were owed it. That God was so enamored with us that he gave us grace Because if he didn't, then somehow he wouldn't be complete. That we bring something to the table. You know the only thing we bring to the table? Worship. God made us to worship him. And, you know, the angels worship God. We will will worship God. We, We live out this relationship. But the difference between the angels and us, which they don't really understand, the Bible says, is this grace issue. You know The ones that went with, with Satan, he didn't offer them any grace. But everything we've done, which is just as bad, we, we, we've done just as bad as Satan did. We, we, we did the same attempt to overthrow him and put ourselves on the throne. We've done the same thing. But Lucifer and the third of the angels that went with him, they've been offered no redemption. We were offered redemption. So that's big. But we didn't, But he didn't, he didn't have obligation to show us favor. He didn't have obligation to give us grace. No one forces God's hand in his forgiveness. It is his call and his call alone. So take, take the book of Romans and we'll go to chapter 9. And the book of Romans in chapter 9 talks about God's sovereignty quite a bit. So if you go to Romans and you look at chapter 9, and I'll probably do more, but let's look at 16. 16 may be all we need for this for time's sake to see what we're talking about. Um, he says this, he says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, meaning effort, but on God for who he has mercy. God forgives who he wants to forgive, and we don't force his hand on it by anything we do. It isn't our will, but his mercy. We, we don't get up and make a case to, to God and he says, Boy, I, I hope you can convince me, or... You know, you made a case, Rick, uh, you have not repented of any sin. Uh, you still live in continuous willful sin. But i got to tell you, this speech you just gave me really convicted me, and I'm, I think I am going to forgive you. You have forced my hand. I have no way around this. Rick, you're so influential, and what a communicator. You have actually told the great I Am to give you mercy without repentance, and he's going to do it anyway. No, we, we don't do that. He forgives whoever he wants to forgive, and he forgives those that he knows is sincere when they repent. And, um, and the fact that he draws us to him, and, and he's the one pulling us in, and then, of course, God's grace is free. But it flows from God, who could refuse his grace, and we must get this. I, I think some of us think the grace is automatic. It's not. He he gives grace as he he chooses to give grace. This is something he did. We haven't done anything to make this happen. He is the one who's made it happen. And I love this. The grace that we are afforded is not earned or deserved. The grace of God is love freely shown toward guilty sinners contrary contrary to any merit. And that's what's shocking. And, And we know some of the... The great um, verses about this. Grace and salvation belong together. It, it's, 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 the, it's the cause and effect. Uh, if you have your Bible, go to uh, uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, so, Paul writing to Ephesus, he, and we're going to get a lot into this, he unpacks a lot in, in the book of Ephesians. So, let's go to chapter 2, and now let's look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ, and underline this, by grace you have been saved. So it wasn't our merit, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with who? Christ, which is the only way. And he did that. That's him coming to us, and we couldn't come to him. By grace you have been saved. Now look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. You look at 9. Not a result of work, so that no man may boast. But, don't miss verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and this is where we miss it a lot, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, okay. So we we actually do work, yes. It just doesn't earn you salvation. But salvation does produce work. Uh, John 15. I abide in you, you abide in me, and I produce much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. But I do produce much fruit in you. I do produce works in you, proving that you are my disciple. So don't don't get caught up in another form of grace abuse, meaning God comes in here, he saves us, but nothing really happens. Don't get caught in that. Romans 5.8 says what? While we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us. So there's no merit here. While we were still sinners... God demonstrates His love for us. Titus two eleven, write that down. Titus two eleven, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. So, uh, when you when you start unpacking all of this, then you kind of get to the point. Well, what what is, you know, what is our our response to this? Well, you you look at you look at different things, and I know that uh, for some of us, when we get into um, um, the part about not being earned or deserved, um, and, and, uh, and grace is the source of the pardon of sin. Let's, let's unpack a little bit of this. And some of this gets a little deep, so, so stay with me. The New Testament sets forth forth the grace of God in three particular connections, each of them a uh, perpetual marvel to the Christian believer. And the first one is what I just said, Grace as the source of the pardon of sin. The gospel centers upon, justification. Now get that right. God's grace produces justification. So we are justified, which means what? We were, we were not. We were guilty. God, through his grace, justifies us. We must, we must be justified, that is, upon the remission of sins and the acceptance of our persons that go with it. Justification is the truly dramatic transition from the status of a condemned criminal waiting a terrible sentence to that of an heir awaiting a fabulous inheritance. Now that's a big turn. If that doesn't fire you up about grace, so God's grace justifies us. And if you want to understand the term justification in English, the word it derives from is the transition from the status of a condemned criminal that is awaited. a criminal is condemned. You are guilty and you are awaiting the terrible sentence And then through justification, God's grace, producing justification, we go from a condemned criminal who is guilty. See, some of you think you're a condemned criminal and somehow you weren't guilty. I shouldn't be sitting here on death row. Yes, you should. You're guilty. I'm guilty. Okay? And then through justification, we go from being the guilty criminal awaiting death to an heir awaiting a fabulous inheritance. Co-heirs with Christ. What? Rick Burgess has been so transformed and justified by God's grace. Nothing I can do for myself. I go from being the wretched, evil man that I am, deserving hell itself, to being a co-heir with Christ. How can I take that so lightly? How can I take, guys? How can I take that so lightly? That is a if that happened here on Earth. If you're on death row, if you're on death row, and all of a sudden. Uh, the creator of Amazon showed up at death row and, and you know all the riches and wealth that he has and you were like, you want to believe what happened? I was on death row and the Amazon guy showed up and somehow talked to the judge or something. So did, so did you commit the, the murder? I did. I, I deserved to die. I don't know what happened. He came down here and, he, and and I went from sitting in here uh, you know with my, with my jumpsuit on ready to go to the chair or to be given the injection of death, and all of a sudden they said the guy from Amazon showed up and and they're gonna let me go. And how about this? I'm gonna go from this to going to live with him. And he says, he says he just made me co-partner in Amazon. I don't know how that happened. You would be running in the streets screaming, you would believe it happened to me. But that's what happened to us, and we don't care about it. Something bigger than Amazon, by the way. But but we all, that that shows you how silly it is. If that happened to us on earth, we wouldn't shut up about it. Man, you seem to be a joyful person. I'm extremely joyful. I was on death row, and somebody came and got me off death row and gave me half and made me an heir to all their fortune. They're going to treat me like I'm I'm one of them. So you were guilty. Absolutely. That's what happened, guys. Justification is by faith. Now, what does that mean? Be careful with faith because I think sometimes we say this word, but we don't really understand it. And It helped me to understand faith because we are saved by grace through faith. The the reason why that I understand it is because when I go to look at the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, this helped me tremendously. Because I noticed that we're trying to find that balance between a sovereign God, all-knowing, foreknowledge, predestined, before the foundations of the world, knowing about the plan of salvation, knowing the gospel, knowing what would be fulfilled. But then in the middle of all that, there seems to be a lot of choices being made. And this is where we get into that rub about the different theologies. And and some of y'all just need to get over yourself, okay? Is God sovereign? Yes. Is he all-knowing? Yes. Do we seem to make some choices? Yes. Did he tell us to make disciples? Yes. Did he tell us to teach them all that he has commanded us? Yes. And the reason why that's important is you take the Bible as it is Is because if you get to a point and you abuse every one of those, it's a huge mistake. Okay, I'm just going to shoot you. Well, what are you? What are you, Rick? What's your theology? My theology is the Bible. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I and and I and I I don't get into what what Paul calls foolish arguments because it doesn't matter what your theology is. You can't get around that God told you and me to go make disciples. Period. Well, Rick, what if what if God already knew who was who was gonna who was gonna be saved and who wasn't? I don't I don't know what to do with that. I gotta do what he told me to do. Because if you get to the point where you think no matter what you do doesn't matter, I, you're a human being and you're not in the presence of God yet. And let me tell you what you're gonna fall back to, a position of apathy. Did you go make disciples? Nah, it doesn't really matter. Well, aren't we told to make disciples? Yeah, but does it really matter? I've seen it. That attitude exists. That's why you got to be very careful. We should not ignore anything that God told us to do, because He said if we love Him, we'll obey His commandments, and we're commanded to go and make disciples. Rick, 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 you mean? So you're what you're saying is it's totally up to us? No, I didn't say that either. That's the other mistake. Gosh, I hope that everybody's salvation didn't depend on me to get everything right and do everything perfectly. I I hope that's not the no, that's not the case either. Do I fully understand how it all works? I don't, and I'm not afraid to say this because I'm not God. But I worship a God, and I understand the things I understand about the Bible and the things that he said about my redemption, the things he said about justification, the things he said about sanctification, the things he said about obedience. It takes up all the time I got. And and please be careful in getting in these foolish, foolish theological arguments that don't help anybody come to know Christ okay are they worth pondering and you can spend some time on them you can spend time on them and I, and i think that god allows us to understand him as much as he allows and i want to maximize that as much as he'll allow me to understand him in my finite state i want to and you know where i understand the most this bible and you know what i found out in this bible is it speaks to it speaks to choice as much as it speaks to sovereignty it speaks to predestiny and foreknowledge as hey look we can't even get out of the garden of eden if somebody makes a choice so, to, so God make Adam and Eve so they would rebel against him? You go, well, I don't know about that. Well, okay, then, see, it's a little more complicated than you're making it out to be. So what I'm going to do is just take the Bible as it says it. When it talks about foreknowledge, when it talks about predestiny, I'm going to pay attention to it. When it talks about before the foundation of the, of the, of the earth and the world, I'm going to pay attention to that. When it talks about uh, that the that, uh, that Jesus' own people rejected him and he said that it was his preference they had not rejected him and that he wanted to protect them as a hen gathers her chicks under his wings, but they were not willing. I'm going to read that too. And if he says, go make disciples and teach them all that I've commanded you, I'm not going to say, well, why do I have to do that? Don't you know everything? I'm just going to do it. Because I don't know how it completely works, but I do know how I'm justified. I'm justified by grace through faith, and that faith is a faith of action, the hall of fame of faith. We don't find that Abraham had a saving faith. Keep in mind, Abraham was saved by faith. Well, what kind of faith? Because he believed God told him to go? No, because he went. Because he believed that God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac? No, because he took Isaac and walked up the hill ready to do it. Noah didn't make the Hall of Fame of Faith because he believed that God was was going to make sure there was a boat built. You think God can't build a boat? Or he believed that God was going to wipe out the earth through something called rain which he'd never seen before? No, his saving faith is when he went and built the boat. Did God need Noah to build the boat? No, but did God build it? He didn't. How did he build it? Through Noah. And that was Noah's saving faith. Does God need me to make disciples? He doesn't, but he told me to. that's where you got to be careful. And that's where we have to understand the purest theology will just come right out of Scripture if you're all good with that. Justification is by faith. It takes place the moment a person puts vital trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That's action. What, 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 What did James say in James 4, 7 and 8? Submit, resist, come near. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Action, action, action. But who ultimately saves you? God, by what? His grace. So did he save me by my submission and my resistance? No, he saved you by his grace, but he told you to do that. So if I'm going to show faith, that faith is going to be action. It's going to be me showing that I believe what I say I believe. Justification's free to us, but it was not free to God. It was costly to God. For its price was the atoning death of God's son. Romans 8.32 Why was it that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? Write down Romans 8.32 I'll tell you why, because of his grace. It was his own free decision to save which brought about the atonement. Paul makes this explicit. We are justified, he says, freely, with nothing to pay, by his grace and consequence of God's merciful resolve through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, one who averts divine wrath by paying for our sins through becoming effectively, uh, effective for individuals by means of faith in his blood. Again, Paul tells us in Christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Wow. And how in the world can we take that so lightly? I'm talking to myself. Y'all can come along with me, but I'm talking to myself. Next, grace as the motive of the plan of salvation. Pardon is the heart of the gospel, but it's not the whole doctrine of grace. Yes, we are pardoned, and that's great. For the New Testament sets God's gift of pardon in the context of a plan of salvation which began with election before the world was and will be be completed only when the church is perfect in glory. That's what we call the church age. People ask a lot of times, when when will Jesus come back? Some people say when the number of the Gentiles come in. Some believe that. The bottom line is Jesus will come back when the church age ends, when God looks at his church and says, the church is where I want the church to be, and I will now turn off the faucet of grace, which is the church age, and now comes my wrath. And this and this timing of that and how this was all going to work, God has known since the beginning before there was ever anything created. He knew the plan, and look, I'm fine with it, and he knew the choices that we were going to make, but choices were made. and he, And he knew how he was going to work this all out and to bring us ultimately back to the garden through redemption and justification. So understand grace as the motive of the plan of salvation. Now, we do not have time right here, but I'm going to assign you a, a reading assignment to kind of understand this a little more. Go, go to the book of Ephesians. or write this down. Go to Ephesians uh, 1, 3, and then, then read to chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians 1, 3, and then read to uh, chapter 2, 10. And this tells you Paul is unpacking uh, how the plan of how we would be redeemed has always been known, and God has been working out this plan uh, in his sovereignty and his providence uh, before we were ever even created. Now, now some of that's going to get really deep, but Paul does a really good job of explaining that out. Uh, To close, and we're getting toward the end here, Grace as the guarantee of the preservation of the saints. And that's kind of what I just talked about. If the plan of salvation is certain of accomplishment, and it is, and God has always, he's always known his plan of salvation, and he's always said it will be accomplished, and if God says it's going to be accomplished, it will, then Christians' future, our future, if you've been justified, is assured. God says what? What did he say his name was? I am and I will be. Kept by the power of God through faith until salvation is what Peter calls it. Remember we did the study of 1 Peter? Go to 1 Peter, verse 1, chapter 5. And you see that Peter says, we are kept by the power of God through faith until salvation. So that means you need not torment yourself with fear that your faith may fail. As grace led me to faith in the first place, grace will keep me believing to the end. See, this goes back to that that you know, people discussing where there's someone experienced a salvation, then can they really fall away from it? Can I lose my salvation? All that, I know there's a lot of debates about that. But what 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 we're what we're talking about, Peter talked about, and what he meant by that, and Paul doubles down on this in Philippians 1:29. Write that down. Philippians 1:29. You have to understand, faith both in its origin and continuance is a free gift of grace. If you have been redeemed and you have been justified. And then the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes in and, and, and then and then God keeps you. Not he 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 wins us through grace, but then he keeps us through that same grace, meaning I have noticed the difference between cultural Christianity and true redemption. Does that mean my life has been easier since I've been truly redeemed? Does it mean I I just suddenly didn't have as many temptations? It doesn't mean that at all. It just means when I experienced true salvation, when I was truly redeemed. The things that before I was redeemed would take me away from God, they don't take me away anymore. I'm not saying I won't have a a stumble and I won't make a mistake. Steve Farrar said this best in his Bible study this past week, I think it was this past week, where he said, understand this concept of sin and, and, and those that are false teachers and false prophets and false believers. When Jesus talks about, if you look into someone's life, you'll see whether they're my disciple or not because those my disciples, because of him, produce much fruit proving they're my disciple but then you see Paul talking about in chapter 7 of Romans that he still struggles with sin and so this is the difference the disciple of Jesus are the culture uh, uh, the disciple of Jesus will still struggle with sin but he will not willfully perpetually continue to sin you got that the false disciple of Jesus and the cultural christian they won't just struggle with sin they give in to sin And it's perpetual and it's continuous and it's willful. And I've lived both, so I do know the difference. Okay? But sin until we stand in the presence of the Lord and this flesh is gone and we're we're fully spirit, made fully righteous and fully redeemed, and no longer the battle of the flesh. The battle of the flesh is over. That's why I get I'm so excited for Bill Cersei right now. The battle of his flesh, which was awful, is over. It's just the redeemed part of Bill that lives now. The dead part of Bill doesn't fight for its life anymore. What a relief. So, when, when that happens, that struggle is over. But as long as you're in the flesh, the struggle is there. The difference in the disciple of Jesus versus the false disciple of Jesus and the cultural Christian is the disciple of Jesus struggles with sin, but he doesn't continuously, perpetually, willfully give in to sin. That's the difference. And that's what it's talking about. And when you've been redeemed, you don't go into it. You, you may struggle and have a bad day, but that grace of God corrects you, and that power of the Holy Spirit and that redeemed spirit gets us back in line. Uh, it's, it's kind of a silly uh, analogy, but it works for me. If you ever took your kids to theme parks, if you've ever been to a theme park, you remember when they have these racetracks? But they can't just let kids get in race cars, so what do they put in the middle of the track? They've got a rail so that if your kid can't drive the car, that rail hits it and puts it back in the middle of the road. That's the grace of God. That's the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's him in our lives. We still drift the disciples of Jesus, but we keep running into that rail that is Jesus and the Holy Spirit puts us right back in the middle of the road. But see, the false disciple and the cultural Christian has no rail. So when they drive off, they just bounce off through there and go off into the woods and off down in the ditch and lay there and waller in it and never, and never come out of it. They, they don't have the rail, and, and that's, that's how you can see in someone's life. You're not going to find perfection in the redeemed as long as they're alive in a fallen spirit, but you're not going to, also you're not going to find willful, continuous, perpetual sin. So, And God's grace will hold you uh, until that body is finally dead. So, in, in closing, do you claim to know the love and grace of God in your own life? Do you claim it? Do you think you understand God's love and grace in your own life? And the challenge at the end of this chapter, say, chapter says, if you're looking at this video or you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're, you're answering out loud, out loud back to me, yes, Rick, yes, then I would say then prove it. Look into your life and, and see if you actually see the power of God's grace or... Do you look a lot more like I used to look as a grace abuser, someone who really understands how wretched they really are and how wonderful God's grace truly is, and what an incredible mystery it is. Next week, we'll talk about something uh, that is also just as much a part of God as His love and His grace, and that is His wrath. And we'll talk about that next week. But hopefully today we all have a l- I know I know this has helped me tremendously. It really has given me, uh, you know, I, I sometimes you have to keep going back and be reminded of things. I have been reminded today about how wonderful, and through the process of preparing for today, how wonderful grace is, and, and, and how, how sad I am uh, on the parts of my life when I forget how great it is. And Lord, forgive me for that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this lesson. Uh, thank you for your word, and thank you for your grace. We all deserve uh, to be condemned. But through your incredible grace, you chose to save us. You chose to offer the grace. You chose to provide the power that we didn't have to redeem us. You chose to redeem the unredeemable. And without you doing that, we have nothing. So thank you, Lord. And may we make the same commitment the Apostle Paul made that your grace will never be in vain. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us.